from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Measured Thoughts on Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School. Here's your host, David Reepstein. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Measured Thoughts on Business Radio. Powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Dave Reepstein, a professor of marketing here at the Wharton School. And I'm joined, as always, in the studio by my co-host, and good friend and PhD candidate of marketing and business uh, uh, marketing and business ethics here at the Wharton School, Sunil Bet. How are you doing, Sunil? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, Dave. I'm looking forward to today's program and everything that we've got. You know, this show runs um, every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, and we're replayed throughout the week. This is a special week this week. Oh yeah, yeah, because we've got Thanksgiving coming up and. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. Absolutely. Black Friday's coming. This uh, It's on our heels. We're ready uh, for it to happen. So Very exciting for us marketing folk. So uh, what i got to tell you is uh, starting tomorrow at noon uh, Eastern, I'm going to be doing a two-hour special on Black Friday, and that's oh. going to be replayed throughout the week as that's well. That's great. And there's lots going on because we're starting to talk about it, but i got to tell you, those retailers are ahead of us. They're definitely ahead of us, and we're going to talk about the fact that they're ahead of us. Yeah, we are indeed. You know, we went from all that political advertising to, you know, all the advertising didn't wait till Black Friday to start the advertising. <laughs> it was like the day after the election, I started getting all these notices and pop-ups and everything about Black Friday. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's everywhere, so we're going to have to talk about that. Sunil, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? I am going up to see my brother at Dartmouth. Oh, nice. Very nice. Nice. How, how deep is the snow up there already? It's supposed to be very deep. Oh, it's going to be cold, that's for sure. Oh, my gosh. I may not see you again until spring. Maybe not. Are you staying around here, Dave? I'm actually, Sarah and I are going to drive up to Connecticut to be with her sister and oh, family. Oh, wonderful. So, yeah, but we'll, we'll be, be back close. the next day. So we'll be oh, getting a little it. bit closer. But we got a program to do today, and Great I'm excited program. about today's program. And interestingly, it's related to Black Friday mm -hmm. because we're going to talk about shopping. And actually, we have Tom McKee, who is the president and CEO of the International Council of Shopping Centers, who's going to be with us. He's going to be with us in the first half of the program. And then in the second part of the program, we're going to open up the lines, talk about anything that you have on your mind as it relates to Black Friday, marketing, metrics, brand, and anything uh, marketing related. Um, while we start the program, I want to ask you to think about three questions that I have for you, and they all relate to Black Friday. Number one, why is Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, called Black Friday? What, where did it come up with that expression? And I think we're going to have multiple answers to that. I think so. I, I think we'll find that. When did Black Friday, as we know it, when did that start? Mm -hmm. And then the third question related to Black Friday is where did it start? All good questions. So I'll be, I'll be interested if any of our listeners know the answer to those questions. And so we will find the answer to that. Uh, I do encourage you to call in. Uh, you can give us a call at 1-844-WARDEN. That's 1-844-942-7866. You can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at biz, that's B-I-Z, radio 132. You're listening to Measured Thoughts with Dave Reepstein on SiriusXM 132. And we are going to be joined right now with Tom McKee, who is the president and CEO of the International Council of Shopping Centers. Tom, welcome. Glad to have you on the program. Thanks for having me. Happy Thanksgiving. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you, and I guess I should say happy Black Friday, which may be an even specialer day uh, yes. for you. 
Uh, so yeah. it, anyhow, very interested to have you on the program and find out what it is that uh, that you are, are going to be doing for your holiday season. But first, let me understand some of your background and how it is you got to be at ICSC. Sure. Well, I am. Uh, I uh, became the CEO of ICSC about three years ago. Um, prior to that, I spent 26 years uh, as a partner at Deloitte. And um, out of the blue, I got a call uh, seeing if I was interested in uh, this role as the CEO of ICSC. And as I went through the process uh, and spoke to the CEO selection committee, I, you know, I really got very excited about the opportunity. One, ICSC is an organization. Um, we're a membership organization. We have 70,000 members around the world, and we uh, offer a variety of different services to our our members. And you know, so that played upon my professional service experience. But, what what a huge transition, though, from going from Deloitte to yeah. suddenly you know becoming the CEO of ICSC. I mean, that, that, it was. That, I mean, that that seems like a, a dramatic change of what it uh, is that you were doing. Very very different types of business. Yeah, it, it, they are. Although, although um, in some ways there's similarities because you know we're ICSC as an entity. We're a service business. We're here to serve our members, and we have a lot of them. Uh, we're international, and I had always served international clients at Deloitte, and so there was a, you know, there was a alignment of that kind of experience. The other part of it was just the strategic part of it, and that you know this is clearly an industry that you know, was going through a lot of change, continues to go through a lot of change. And, you know, I was excited at, you know, kind of helping the industry uh, deal with some of those strategic changes. Uh, and it was also, I think, an industry, not retail and retail real estate, that isn't, you know, respected and appreciated for how significant of a role it plays in society, you know, from job creation to economic you know, vibrancy and through creation of communities and so forth. And so I was excited to talk about that. Sort of inter um, entertainment centers as well yeah, uh, for, for a large number of people. But let, let me understand, for those, those of us uh, in the audience that are uh, not as familiar with, I, I've referred to ICSC, it's the International Council of Shopping Centers. What does this council do? You know, what is, what is this entity? So ICSC, or the International Council of Shopping Centers, we're the global trade association uh, for uh, the shopping center industry or the retail real estate uh, industry. So uh, if you're a shopping center or a retail uh, real estate developer, owner, manager, or retailer uh, that you know, leases space uh, in shopping centers all around the world, both here in the United States and we have members in 100 countries around the world, we're uh, the organization that brings you together. Uh, we represent you in, in a public policy fashion uh, in Washington, D.C., in Brussels, and other places around the world. We host a series of best practice events where you can talk about different things that are happening in the industry and share best practices. And ICSC also has a very large um, number of programs where we bring developers and tenants uh, and other people in the industry together in what we call uh, deal-making events, and they come together and they talk about um, what the prospects for the next year, two, five are uh, in their businesses and talk about leasing opportunities 
and we host those forums, along with things like education and certification, and we obviously do a lot of public relations on behalf of the industry as well. And so you're representing the shopping malls, is that? The malls, uh, not just malls, uh, shopping for sure, centers? But, all, but all shopping centers, uh, period. So any type of physical retail, uh, whether you're the owner or developer of that physical retail, or you're a tenant in that physical retail location, you're highly likely to be a member of ICSC. So I know on the program I'm doing tomorrow with Barbara Kahn, um, I have the head of marketing for the Mall of America that's going to be joining us. Sure. A- and um, would they be a, a type of member for yeah, the... absolutely. Okay, yeah. and, and yeah. you would have that as well as strip malls, as well as maybe even individual stores? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, everything from... You know, large regional malls uh, to uh, grocery-anchored neighborhood centers and everything in between. Uh, So anything kind of physical retail, you know, we represent. Now, obviously, it's a membership organization, so people have to choose to be a member and participate in ICSC. But at 70,000 members, we have an awful lot of members. So um, most people that are of any scale in the industry would be members of ICSC. And, and by the way, uh, just to prepare me for tomorrow, is Mall of America the largest shopping mall? Uh, they are the largest in the United States, yes. And, and, okay, because King of Prussia here in Philadelphia would sort of <laughs> yeah, claim it. You know, that, that might be true. I, that may be true. I, th- so I think there's probably t- me, ten malls. Don't be accountable of that, but I think there's a lot that we claim to be the largest. No, so. that's exactly right. Now, I heard you also say the largest in the United States. Um, well, there's there's obviously we we represent um, we have members uh, throughout the world, and so we also have members in Europe, uh, in Asia, in the Middle East. There's obviously a lot of very big properties, big ball properties in the Middle East, in particular in Dubai. Um, that I'm not I'm not sure. Uh, I don't have the square footage in front of me, but that would probably. Um, you know, look to be comparable in size, if not larger than some of the ones that you just referenced. So in three weeks, I'm going to be at that mall in Dubai, where they have the uh, the indoor skiing. Yeah, and uh, it, go down it, the slopes. That play that place does have a big footprint. I'll tell you that. You know, uh, but well, that that's pretty amazing. They're very good. They're pretty, and that's a good representation, right? And you see a lot of that in the United States, obviously, and Mall of America being a good example with the amusement park. But um, you know, the the ski slope. Uh, there in Dubai and, and other other entertainment um, venues there, that speaks to your point around being a destination and really a place for people to gather as a community. It's not just about shopping. It's really a place that people come uh, and, and entertain and dine and do lots of different things. So one of the things that I have found when I have traveled uh, in Asia in particular is that uh, I think they're more creative and more innovative than what it is that we see within the malls in the United States. I, some of the most fascinating malls I've been in have been in China. And um, are we a little bit behind the times here in the uh, in the U.S.? Well, I think what you see in the in Asia is a lot more focus upon entertainment and dining right. and services within their shopping centers and large malls. And the United States has been very department store centric. As a matter of fact, if you look at the square foot footage allocation um, and the amount of square footage devoted to department stores, it's significantly more in the United States than it is in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. What you're seeing in the U.S. is really, you know, kind of that transformation uh, that's already taken place in other parts of the world. And you're seeing, you know, anchor spots not just be large department stores, but 
a whole host of different uh, different things, from services to dining and entertainment to movie theaters, et cetera. The one thing in Asia that you know I think is also important, and uh, it is a place people, particularly in large populated cities, right. you know, a mall becomes a place for people to gather. There's a lot of space. A lot of folks in those large cities tend to live in apartments, or their homes are not as big as as the homes in suburban United States, and so they look to the malls as a place to gather. Obviously, it's hot and humid, and malls are, are are highly, you know, are air conditioned. So there's a comfort level there, and people go out to eat. You know, it's a place where people go out and um, really gather as a family. And so it serves multiple purposes. And I think, in many respects, that's what you're seeing the mall part of the industry evolved to in the United States. And I and I think many malls have already done it. You know, but I think there's clearly a continuing trend towards that. No, I think that's fascinating to think about. I hadn't, I hadn't considered. You know, a place to go for air conditioning and a place where yeah. you have a little bit more space and and some community. So, so that's I find that absolutely fascinating. We're currently speaking with Tom McGee, who is the president and CEO of the International Council of Shopping Centers. And if you want to give us a call, you can call us at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Okay, I'm going to ask you a hard question here. My hard okay. my my hard question is. Isn't it curtains for malls and, and for shopping um, in, in bricks and mortar that uh, more and more and more are moving online and what it is that we're going to see and are seeing is a decline in the bricks and mortar stores? No, I don't, I don't think so at all. I mean, I actually think we're in the midst of a retail you know, renaissance. I think the last decade, uh, there's been a tremendous amount of investment in the digital channel. Um, but really, what I what I really believe is going to happen over the course of the next ten years is a significant investment in the store network and really creating a vibrant experience. I think you're seeing a lot of digitally native retailers, including Amazon, um, you know, move into the physical channel. Uh, but you know, I think that that you are they're beginning to understand that the to really build a national brand to serve your customer effectively that. You need to have a physical store network. We just did a report called the Halo Effect, which spoke spoke to the benefits of having a store and what that meant for your web traffic. And so when a retailer opened up a store in that geographic area where that store was open, they saw a 37% increase in web traffic. When stores were closed, they saw a similar decrease in web traffic. And, you know, if you think about the way people think uh, nowadays, people don't think in the context of online versus physical. They just say, where am I going to get the product most efficiently in the best possible way, most cost-effectively? People are social beings as well. Um, And I think that, you know, we're not going to be talking about this physical versus digital channel. I think we're going to be talking about one channel, the consumer channel. And retailers are, are starting to really figure out how to leverage the benefit of their store network for the growth in their digital channel and how to grow their, grow their store sales by leveraging their digital channel. So I, I don't think so at all. No, I, I think we're entering into, a, you know, into a, a real period of vibrancy in the industry. I also think demographics work in the favor of the industry. We've been in a little bit of a challenging demographic environment um, in general over the course of the last number of years as the baby boomers have transitioned out of their prime consumption. So what's a demographic challenge here? Let me understand that. So you... You know, our the U.S. economy has been very dependent, obviously, about the baby boomers and certainly the consumer economy for the last 
25, 30 years. As that, as that demographic group is kind of aged out of being uh, out of their prime consumption years, raising kids, downsizing, the millennials, the newest, biggest generation in human history and the biggest generation in American history, has not yet transitioned into their prime consumption years. And, of course, they're doing everything later. You know, they're buying homes later. They're getting married later. They're having kids later. And, and the oldest millennial is only 37 years old. And why are those really important? Because every statistical study, including all the ones that we've done, is that when you get married, you buy a home and you have kids, you end up consuming a lot more things, a lot more goods. You buy a lot more stuff. And as that demographic group ages into their prime consumption years, I think the retail uh, environment in the U.S. is going to be in a very favorable space. Isn't that the same group that buys more online? Actually, millennials, when you look at our, our all of our uh, research and studies, millennials and Gen Zs, they prefer to shop in the store. Now, I, I, clearly there's a competitive environment, and retailers are going to have to be prepared to offer a compelling reason for uh, whether it's millennials, Gen Zs, or for that matter, baby boomers or Gen Xers to go to a store. Um, but all the statistical studies would suggest that they prefer being in a store. And remember, for all the conversation around online sales, they represent less than 10% of total retail sales in the United States. I mean, 90% of all sales still happen in a physical store. And those are those are statistics from the U.S. Census Bureau. Those aren't numbers that I created. So while there is a Sure, there clearly is a robust digital channel and a robust online environment, and that has completely, you know, had an impact upon the way people shop and consume. The largest part of retail sales in this country still happen within a physical store. Right. I, I was just looking at the trends on that, but but I, I've got to tell you, there are some things that just blow me away, and it, one of them is that Apple was the one that got us to stop wearing watches. And so all, none of my students wear a watch. If they want to see what time it is, they pull their phone out. They're always doing that. But they don't have a timepiece uh, on the wrist. I'm, I'm looking over at Sunil. He happens to have one, but that's, that, that, that's sort of Maybe strange. Maybe an Apple watch. Yeah. But, but that's the thing that I was going to bring up is that then, so Apple got people to stop wearing watches, and then Apple introduces a watch. And I bring that up in the context of Amazon gets everybody to buy online, and then what you just talked about is, no, we're going to open stores. And what's the logic of, um, of, of, of Amazon? And then we'll talk broader of the going from bricks to click or from clicks to bricks. But what was the logic of Amazon doing that? And then we can extend that uh, in a broader scope. Well, I think I mean you'll have to ask Amazon specifically why they why they did that particular deal. But I think generally speaking, the economics. Um, of an online-only retailer um, are challenging. You know, the customer acquisition costs, return costs. Generally, it's very hard to be significantly profitable or profitable at all as an on online-only retailer. Um, where So having a store network uh, really is an economically and financially beneficial decision. It also increases brand awareness. And so I, I think what's interesting is that, and this goes to my point around this conversation of online versus physical becoming somewhat dated, because you have the largest digital or online retailer in the world, Amazon, moving into the physical world, and you have the largest physical retailer, the largest retailer in the world, Walmart, making significant acquisitions in the digital world. And it really speaks to this convergence that's taking place. And, and what these retailers are really beginning to understand is that the consumer doesn't care 
They just want great service, great product, great merchandise, great pricing, and all channels. They want it all. And, um, and so you have successful retailers making investments in both spaces. I do think, those, however, those retailers that are going to be truly successful need to create a vibrant experience in the store. And those retailers that have not uh, invested in their store network significantly over the course of the last decades or two have struggled. Those that have invested in their store network tended to, tended to have a much greater level of success. And so now you're starting to see a lot of investment go into the store network. You mentioned Apple, for that matter. I mean, Apple obviously is a, you know, a, a technology, consumer technology com- uh, company, but who opened up a large network of physical stores? Apple, because they realized right, right. that building a relationship with their customer and that ability to see and experience the technology was fundamental to building that, you know, that connection or that connectivity. And, of course, they've done a great job with merchandising in their stores. So I think that they're a good example of, you know, the merging of the physical and digital world as well. Tom, you've been talking about uh, how it's important not just to have a retail space and a brick-and-mortar space, but also have a good experience for, for the customer there. And I think that makes sense. Could you talk to us a little bit about what is it that makes the the, the experience good? So I what I've noticed a lot, um, and you kind of talk about this in your in your study, uh, is companies like Warby Parker. You know, the, the, it looks really good. It looks really clean. Uh, um, it's easy to see product. But a lot of times, these companies, Bonobos, Warby Parker, you can't really buy the the items when you get in store. You think that would be kind of counterintuitive to a to a good you know good customer experience. So so what is good customer experience in 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 this kind of uh, of the space? Well, I think it's. I think it depends, right? I think. It, I, I think that's what's incumbent upon the retailer to figure out what's going to make their experience unique and compelling. And so, you mentioned a couple examples there, which they're really using, you know, the store network more as kind of a show place. Um, on one end of the spectrum, you have an Apple, uh, which you just talked about, which is very technological and very experiential with touching and feeling the technology. On the other end of the spectrum, you have something like a TJ Maxx which is really a treasure hunt, right? They don't really even have a large digital presence, but the, when the consumer goes into their store, they're looking you know, for that great bargain, that gem that they can only find if they go in the store, and you've created kind of this experience of, of treasure hunting. And those are completely two ends of the spectrum, but it's an experience. It's a unique experience, and I think that's what retailers you know, have to do is what, what's going to create, what's going to be part of my brand proposition that's consistent with my, you know, what's, what makes me unique. Clearly, the table stakes and all of that, though, is you need to have great service. I think that people's, uh, consumers' expectations around service have been raised. Um, I think technology has a lot to do with that because we've become so accustomed to having, you know, curated information, very much customized to me. I can go on my, you know, smartphone now and look at my, you know, stock portfolio, look at the scores of all my favorite teams and latest news. I can look at everything's curated to my specialized needs. And, of course, that's going to cascade to other aspects of my life, including something like shopping. Um, and that's why you look at what's happened with grocery stores as well. Just the level of, you know, the merchandising mix, whether you have, you know, based on people's dietary habits, you know, vegans and paleo and, you know, uh, know, all the different types of diets, 
what, what curate, you know, ready to eat meals because of, you know, dual income households. All of those types of things, I think, speak to a curated experience, and we've become. It's kind of happened without us really even realizing it's happening. So, um, because but, we're but, expecting it. But, but I want to, want to return to part of what it is who Neil asked, which was that it was about the experience, and you said, well, a lot of it is customer service. And yeah. and I'm trying to think about whether or not being able to walk out of the store with that product is that part of their the experience and part of the service is that I go into a store to buy it, and it, it seems to me that those that have uh, have opened their their bricks and mortar, so the online stores that have done that, yep. um, that there is sort of like a three-dimensional catalog. You know, to some degree, it's a showroom that you get to go in and look around, and you get to you know touch and feel it and see what I look like wearing you know this apparel or these glasses or whatever, um, and we'll send it to you. It, 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 but it's a different thing than the, the service of you know you walk out with the product right then. I think that's right, but I also think that there's plenty of on uh, digitally native retailers that you walk that have opened up stores and you walk out with the product right then as well. Um, I think that retailers are really um, focused upon trying to offer the customer lots of different ways um, to collect their product. You know, obviously, shipping it to their home is one uh, way. You see the cook and collect. You see people picking it up, you know, in a parking lot uh, where you have a courier walking out to your car. You see people ordering things online, and when they get to the store, uh, they'll be waiting for them in a right. uh, in a mm-hmm. fitting room uh, because that's that's in, that's great service, but it's also in the best interest of the retailer because it ensures that you know reduces returns. Um, so I think you're going to see lots of new and different and innovative ways to kind of fulfill, you know, a customer's order. I think you're going to particularly see a lot of that and a lot of experimentation over the holiday season. Yeah, f- fair uh, enough. I think there's various different forms of that. We're currently talking to Tom McKee, who is the president and CEO of ICSC, the International Council of Shopping Centers. Tom, I want to pick up on something that you referenced earlier that comes from your HALO study, which, you know, I looked at some of the excerpts of that, and I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And you hit on one that really caught my attention, which was that if you open a retail store, that your traffic um, and sales go up 37%. Uh, your web traffic goes up 37%. It's your web traffic that goes up 37%. What's what's going on there? What is it that's driving that? Because I would think now that I've opened a store, I'm going to cannibalize some of the sales away from from the web. So what's really going on? Well, I think a physical store acts like a billboard, right, for your brand. That's the awareness Uh, that you were talking about, right? It creates a a level of awareness. I think it creates a level of credibility uh, for your brand as well. I mean... Um, despite how much we've become accustomed to living in the digital world, I think there is a level of confidence uh, that consumers get when they see a digital retailer open up a store, and so I think that uh, plays into it. But but clearly, the most the, the most important part is awareness. Um, it is a very effective way to acquire new customers. It's the most cost-effective way to acquire new customers. You know, customer acquisition costs on an online only, for an online only retailer is very challenging. Um, to, and to grow that to scale becomes very, very challenging. And uh, despite the perception that might exist, actually opening up the store can be a very cost-effective way to grow brand awareness. And it obviously has a synergistic benefit of growing web traffic for the study. And obviously, the benefit of growing sales at the store itself. So, 
you know, obviously there's a there's a point of saturation. Um, you have to be prudent in where you open up the store and use the information you have based upon your understanding of your customer. Uh, because as an online retailer, somebody that started online and now moving into the physical world, you do have a lot of rich data about your consumer and the demographics of your customer, where they live, um, you know, what they like. Uh, what kind of experience they might enjoy. Sure, sure. And you can use all of that as you build out your store network. So, um, but uh, the most important one is, is confidence and credibility in the brand and awareness of the right. brand. That's, that's what's driving web traffic. Right. Tom, you mentioned that uh, um, you know, it, it also could be, actually it's profitable to open up uh, um, use brick and mortar stores. I wonder, you know, as you guys, you know, think about, pitching brick and mortar stores and think about researching brick and mortar stores what is the the, the profit the the profit calculation there so I, I take it we used to think of you know whether you're going to lease a store or buy a store as you know sales per square foot uh, particularly for department stores where people are walking out of products but now yeah. that you know the digital and the, the you know the brick and mortars promoting the digital and that's kind of part of the value proposition, how is it that you know you're justifying to your investors, shareholders, um, you know these high expenses given real estate costs, real estate you know rents uh, are going up? How do you actually calculate that? How do you yeah, think about what's the metric? Yeah, well, yeah there you go. Yeah. What's, what's, the what's the metric? Yeah. So I think there's multiple metrics, but ultimately the you know the most important metric is you know revenue across a geographic area, right? I mean, re- sales per square foot is one metric. It's a very store centric metric. Um, but as you, at the benefit of opening of a store, what you would expect to see is that the revenue across that zip code or that geographic area would would grow. And in fact, what you're seeing is a lot of new venture capital um, that's that's being raised by uh, digitally native retailers are going towards the building out of store networks because VC funds and investors have started to understand that, that the accretive nature of that. But clearly, it's the 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 metrics have have diversified. It can't just be about sales per square foot, although that's still a very important metric. Um, but really, a lot of retailers are looking at revenue across a geographic area. And it depends upon the, the, how large their store footprint is and what their, the you know, geographic area they believe is served by that one store, whether it's per million people or per two million people. Uh, Etc. But that's the that's a key metric. That that makes sense. It requires being able to sort of merge the data from both your retail and your online stores, mm-hmm. which they should be able to do. But I, I don't believe everybody's doing that very well. But no, I, I I think because I think I think that's an evolving area. But I think retailers are retailers have really started to move beyond this online versus physical um, argument. They're really moving towards. How do I serve my customer better? I mean, the most sure. successful retailers are really focusing upon not just talking about omni-channel, but really managing in an omni-channel environment. Well, that's that's great to hear. So I'm encouraged by that. I want to go back to that 37% that we quoted earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is when a native digital uh, company goes and adds a brick and mortar. I'm, I'm sort of curious about the other direction. Uh, your example that you mentioned of Walmart. What happens when a bricks and mortar store decides that they're going to start investing on an online? And do we see the same effect? Uh, do, does the volume go up for the online store? Uh, or excuse me, for the bricks and mortar store? Do we see that, or or what's happening? 
We didn't do it. We didn't measure that specifically, um, but I would I would presume that that is in fact the case. I mean, what we what we discovered was that, and we were very focused upon measuring web traffic because that is a conversation that a lot of people have anecdotally talked about. You know, you mm-hmm. open up a store that it grows your online sales, but there was never any statistics that supported that. And so what we looked at was if I open up a store, what impact does that have on my web traffic? We also looked at if I close a store, what impact does that have upon my web traffic? And we saw a similar relationship to the decline of sales oh, of web that's traffic in that geographic mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. And, I, of course, that, that just to me that comes down to – you know the basics out of sight, out of mind, right? I mean, that's that's really the yeah. It's it's the reverse of your awareness story. From your study, what was the biggest surprise? You know, I actually wasn't surprised by the study. I was, um, you know, I I I think it affirmed to me what uh, I and I think a lot of people intuitively understood, which was that there is a synergistic relationship between the two. I think what. Um, what I still think needs to happen is, you know, a continued conversation around this, you know, renaissance in retail where we're moving beyond speaking about specific channels in such a tactical way and really talking about the consumer and, you know, what, what does the consumer want and what's the best way to deliver to that consumer. And so I think this is a, an important data in that ongoing dialogue. Okay. And with uh, the onset of Black Friday, what are you yeah. anticipating? Is it going to be is it going to be a big Black Friday? It is. It's going to be a big holiday season. I mean, you have all the characteristics for a very strong holiday season. You know, good consumer demand, good economy, good job market. Um, our expectation is four and a half percent growth year over year. Uh, wow. and I wouldn't be surprised if it was even better than that. Okay, I got you. I got you on the record on that, and it's yeah. four and <laughs> a half or even more that yeah. uh, that we That's anticipate. Great. And my last question for you, yeah. which seems sure. like a layup: uh, When did Black Friday start? And I'm not talking about what year. I'm talking about this year. What? When did Black Friday start? Because I think it didn't start on Friday. And well, it, it doesn't I, start on Friday. Well, you know, the, the the whole holiday shopping season has become much, much longer. So, I mean, really the whole month of November and December is the holiday shopping season now. And so I would say offic- officially Black Friday is still Black Friday, at least to my knowledge. But right. I think as you, if you speak to the holiday shopping season, it's become much longer. And the importance of any single date isn't what it once was, but Black Friday still is symbolically really important date, um, you know, to symbolize the strength of the holiday season. I'm going to go shopping on Black Friday. I don't know if you are. <laughs> no, I, th- I think it's in your job description. I think you have to go <laughs> shopping then. Tom, thanks so much for joining us, and uh, please do stay with us, everyone. Uh, when we come back, we're going to uh, take your calls on anything related to marketing, branding, and metrics in the last segment of the program. I also have asked you, and I want you to try and answer for me, why is Black Friday, that shopping day that happens after Thanksgiving, why is it called Black Friday? When did it first happen? When did that first get known as Black Friday? And where did it first happen? So we'll take your calls when we come back. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. This is Business Radio powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM. 132.